appreciate that. I'm uh, always excited to see people in church on Super Bowl Sunday, and whoever brought the ice cream machine, thank you. Uh, I'm excited about that being ready by the end of the service. So, uh, so sorry about that. Can't do anything about it, so let's just acknowledge it that it's there and acknowledge that God's Word is bigger than that noise. Are we good with that? Hey, we live in a great country, don't we? I mean, it is, it is a wonderful place to live in the United States of America in, in 2022. Is that what year it is? Uh, to give you a quick, oversimplified, not fully explained, but just a 60,000-foot a, a view of, of the United States, we actually have what's called the, the GDP, the gross domestic product, which is essentially how much it costs us to produce goods and services uh, minus how much we make off that is our national profit, essentially. And so the United States in 2022, it's estimated that we're going to be at a 24% GDP. China, by the way, is about 15.7%, which basically means that the United States is going to make $19 trillion this year. Uh, we're, we're truly blessed. We have a good economic uh, system going on, even though I think we would all understand that there are some challenges out there. Uh, but that's probably why this year Americans are going to spend $14.6 billion on Super Bowl festivities. Super Bowl tickets, by the way, are $7,500 per. Um, that's that's kind of what the going rate is. Uh, a, a website called uh, WalletHub.com said that Americans will also spend $18.6 billion on Valentine's Day this year. So the good news is, is that we're spending 25% more on Valentine's than we are on Super Bowl. And so way to go, guys. Uh, pretty awesome there. Way to go. Uh, sadly, however, though, uh, we're still going to spend $32 billion this weekend on, on two things that have no eternal value whatsoever. Oh, goodness. For those of you who are video gamers out there, you, you might not know this, uh, but parents, you probably feel a portion of this. Uh, the U.S. video gaming business as a whole is worth $86 billion. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration estimated that Americans, and, and listen, I, I can feel this, uh, and God bless those of you who work in this industry. God loves you too. Uh, Americans spent $20 billion each year on unnecessary car repairs. Some of you are going, yep, uh-huh, yep, yep. Yeah, some of you who work in that industry are going, yeah, we see a sucker coming every time you walk in the door, Todd. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The Guardian, I see, I'm not looking at you. I know exactly what's going on. The Guardian, a, uh, a newspaper out of, of the UK, says that uh, it would cost an estimated $330 billion to end world hunger by 2030. That's crazy. BankingJournal.com says that for every $1 that banks lose to fraud, they spend $4 trying to combat it. That's just bad economics. The CDC reports that in 2019 that 629,000 legally induced abortions were reported in 48 different counties. In 2017, the Office of Justice Programs from the U.S. Department of Justice reported that 62 percent of murders and only 35 percent of sexual assaults were actually solved and each year more than 6,000 murders go unsolved in the United States. Forbes magazine reported that in 2020 that the global human trafficking industry is 150 billion dollars worldwide. Barna, a research company that usually works with Lifeway Research said that 
non-practicing Christians have grown from 35% to 43% since 2000. And LifeWay Research says that in 2020, anywhere from 3,800 to 7,700 churches closed down. And as that number will likely double or triple after the pandemic is over with 75 to 100 churches closing every week. Boy, it sure is a good time to live in these United States, amen? We are blessed beyond measure, and yet we have all of this, these success measures, if you will, telling us that we're the richest, the greatest, the strongest, the most powerful, the wealthiest nation. There are more millionaires and billionaires in the United States than any other country. And yet we have all of these other just terrible industries, human trafficking, abortion, making billions and billions that that money alone could go to end world hunger. Which leads us to a question that many people, especially non-believers, but I think Christians wrestle with this. It's one of, one of about five serious questions that our prophet Jeremiah will wrestle with as well. And it's just simply this, why do the ways of the wicked prosper? But why do bad people continue to be successful? Why do we have 6,000 unsolved murders in the United States and people are walking free after having taken a life? Why are there 600,000 legally, if that is such a, an oxymoron for me, legally induced abortions every year, but yet the U.S. is so blessed? God bless the USA as we legalize depravity, profit off of it. How can the wicked continue to prosper? How can they continue to do such great and amazing and wonderful things? How can the guy down the street that we know is a liar and a cheat who, who, who neglects his children, cheats on his wife, but lives in a 4,000 square foot house and drives a new car every year. God, how can you allow that to continue to happen when I'm driving a Corolla? An old one at that. No offense to my Corolla driver friends. God, how can you let the wicked live to 120 years old, accumulate wealth like nobody's business, but a child will be struggling with cancer. Lord, how long can the wicked prosper? Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, we call him, he asked the same question, how long is this going to happen? And what we see as we look at Jeremiah chapters 11 and 12 this morning, and I do want to encourage you to turn to those, what we see is that God is is listening to this, and your Bible might actually have something that, that's titled Jeremiah's Complaint in chapter 12. We're going to get there in a minute. But Jeremiah finds himself in a place where he's standing before God, and God says some, some really interesting Valentine's-y type language. You know the little, the little hard hearts that you get that, that will last forever? They, they precede the peeps, right? So, so in nuclear winter, we're going to have peeps, those Valentine hearts, and cockroaches, and maybe Twinkies. Those are going to survive, right? That, that's all we're going to live on. But, but, you know, those little Valentine hearts, they say, be mine and I'm yours. Th those are, those, that's actually covenantal language. And it's, it's what God actually said, if you will obey my commandments, you will be my people and I will be your God. But unfortunately, as chapter 11 opens up, God says, I told you, and, and I would write this note if I were you, I'd write down Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I'd read that this week. 
Because that was the covenant that Jeremiah is talking with the Lord about, where God said, I made a covenant commitment that I would be their God and they would be my people. But I told them if they did those things, this is how I would bless them. But if they didn't do those things, this is how I would curse them. And it's a challenging, challenging chapter because you look at this and just go, man, God gave them everything. And then, man, God brought the hammer. But he never surprised them. He never did something that he didn't say he was going to be. You can say lots of things about God, but you can never say that guy didn't tell me that he wasn't somebody else. He always told me that he was who he is. In fact, he even said, I am. As Jeremiah is wrestling with this and he and God are going back and forth, he doesn't even recognize what's going on around him. And at some point, Jeremiah, as you, if you remember going back to chapter 1, he was from a little village just north of Jerusalem called Anatoth. And in this little village of Anatoth was where the priests lived. And Jeremiah was from a priestly family. And they all got together, the priestly family, his, his kin got together and they said, Man, our, our, our brethren here, Jeremiah, whoo, he's drawn a lot of attention to himself and to us. We should kill him. And Jeremiah didn't even recognize that his own family members were trying to kill him until God said, by the way, I just want to let you know there's a conspiracy going on, but I'm watching out for you because I told you that my word would go forth, that it would be protected, that it would yield the fruit, that all you had to do is remain faithful to me, and you're going to be just fine. It's not going to be easy. Now, I don't know about you. You might have family come over for Super Bowl. You might have them come over for Thanksgiving or Christmas. But you know what it feels like when family plots against you, don't you? And don't tell me you don't, because you do. Because family's the worst. They're the ones that, man, they, when they hug you, they're looking for the soft spot to place the knife, right? You know, like a, a, a high hug comes down about mid-back. Oh, yeah, right there. That's, that's, that's where it's going to happen, right? I mean, win the lottery, for crying out loud. You'll find all kinds of family. Don't win the lottery. Fool and his money are easily separated. Jeremiah is struggling and he's, he's wrestling with my own family. He's trying to kill me. I'm out here, Lord, doing what you want me to do. But God, I'm noticing a problem here that you are punishing everybody and I'm doing what you told me to do. How did I get stuck in the middle of all this? Why am I having to suffer through all of this for their stupidity? Why does their sin allow them to continue on living their lives, and I'm being obedient, and I'm struggling with all this? Lord, how long will the ways of the wicked continue to prosper? That's a great question. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 together first. Jeremiah is, is struggling, and he says, You are always righteous, Lord. When I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why do the ways of the wicked prosper, Lord? Why do all the fatherless, or excuse me, the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. They talk a big game. Yet you know me, Lord, and you see me and test my thoughts about you. Lord, drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. 
How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and the birds have perished, and moreover, the people are saying he will not see what happens to us. I, I, want, to just, I want to show you four simple things that we get from these first four verses to kind of frame up the rest of what's going on. See, I think, I think Jeremiah, he launches a complaint, and it shows us four really simple things. First of all, he's faithfully confused. Because he's at least smart enough to say, you know what, Lord, you're righteous, and I'm not challenging your righteousness. I'm trying to gain understanding here. And I'm trying to gain understanding not so that I continue to do your will, but I just don't get it. But I'm faithfully confused. I'm at least going to submit myself to you and say, you know what you're doing, but I don't know what you're doing. Now, now let me just give you a little bit of a warning for those of you who have proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you go looking for, for all of the, the whys and you forget the hows, what you really miss out is, is I don't need to understand and know everything about God to trust him. And when I start setting down these, these thresholds and saying, okay, I will only follow God. I will only trust God when I know this. I got bad news for you. You will never know enough about God to faithfully trust him. Secondly, he says he's, he's, that, that Jeremiah here is protective of God's reputation because he's saying, look, God, I think everything comes from you. I think success comes from you. I think wealth comes from you. I think prominence comes from you. I think all these things come from you. And so these wicked, evil people who have got you on their mouth but not in their heart, who are, are running to the temple because the, the, the gong has been sounded, hey, let's all go worship, then they go out into the streets and they've got so many, they got more idols than they have streets. And these people are doing these things behind your back and they're thinking you're never going to see this. God, it, it looks like you're the one prospering their evil. Like after all, you are God Almighty. You have the power and the authority, and you're the one who determines something to be successful. And so Jeremiah is saying, hey, I'm kind of looking out for your reputation here because if I'm confused about this and you and I are the only ones who are in good relationship, don't you think everybody else is confused about this and this may be perpetrating their continual evil? But he's also fully aware of his own integrity. And this is something we see many a time with the prophets of old, and I think we also see for ourselves. God, I'm doing my job, and I'm doing it well, and nobody seems to notice around here. And those dirty, rotten people that are out there that are blaspheming your name, and they're getting rich in the process of all this, can you just take them out and kill them all? Jonah had a seat picked out that I think was awesome. He's sitting there on the outskirts of Nineveh just waiting for its destruction. And God says, hey, I really need you to go back there. I need you to go and tell those people to repent. I need you to show them how to follow me and to love me. But no, God, they're Ninevites for crying out loud. They may as well be Cowboys fans. I, I've got a seat picked out here for their destruction, these rotten, evil people who have no hope of ever going to a Super Bowl again. The prophets of old were real bad about that because they would turn a little bit and they would, they would look for God's justice to be exacted in the moment, forgetting that vengeance belongs to the Lord and that he will repay. And that there is no amount of fairness, if you will, 
no amount of justice that man can delve out that will ever come close to the equality of what God can dwell out. And if we got what we deserved ourselves, we certainly wouldn't be looking for the destruction of others. We'd be begging God to be more merciful with us than he is on them because we know him. And so he was aware of his own integrity because I think Jeremiah wrestled with that sentiment a little bit. Lord, they're conspiring against me. Can you take them out? And finally, he was smart and he was wise and he took his issues directly to God. Boy, that's where we mess up, I think. Very often. We start looking and going, man, if I just had this kind of money or if I just had that opportunity or if somebody would do this for me or, you know, God, you seem to, you seem to, if pornography is so bad, why are there billions of dollars spent on that? If abortion is so bad, why do you let Planned Parenthood get government money for my taxes? If, if all these things are so bad, God, then, then why do you let all those other things happen? Well, what really ought to be happening is what Jeremiah does, says, you know what, God, I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't understand this. And it's causing me some stress. But you know my heart and you know that. But I'm going to bring it to you instead of going out there and trying to fix all this myself. Because at, at some level, and I think this, this is a sad truth, at some level I think Jeremiah realized, you know what, I'm outnumbered here. There are more of them than there are of me, but none of them know my God. And so I think I'm going to take my issues to him first. Boy, isn't that just a good lesson for us? That when we start complaining about our circumstances, we start complaining about how hard things are, we start looking and envying what our brother and sister have, when we start looking at the sin in someone else's eye, the speck that's there, that we miss the plank that's in our own eye, that we start asking for God's judgment to rain down upon all those unrighteous people, what we should realize very quickly is, thank you, Lord, for having mercy on me, a sinner. So why do the wicked prosper? And maybe a better question is to ask, why do, do, the, do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Because it's a both-and situation. It's one that I think we all can identify very easily with, especially when we use our own levels of what we think is suffering and righteousness and good versus evil. The first thing I would tell you this morning is this, is that we have to come to a place that we understand that sometimes the wicked prosper by man's terms and the righteous suffer because God is righteous. Now, I want you to hold on to that for just a moment and just hear me clearly on this because I could attempt to explain to you the full righteousness of God. I could, ex I could attempt to explain to you that God is on a completely different level than each and every one of us. I could plead with you on multiple levels to say, you know what? I could spend hours and hours and days and days and years trying to fully explain to you the righteousness of God, but you're still not going to fully understand that. But it would behoove you, it would be better for you, it would be healthier for you to get to a place to say, you know what? God is righteous because he's God. And I don't understand all of that, and I, I don't even know that I fully agree with all that, but I can't fight it. And God's righteousness is not determined by what he does or doesn't do for us, and it certainly is not determined by how we complain about him for what he does and doesn't do to us. God is righteous period. Well, that's just blind faith. It sure enough is. It sure enough is because there is nothing about God's righteousness, nothing about God's righteousness that's dependent upon you. Nothing. Well, 
if God were really righteous, he'd let this happen to me. If God were really righteous, you'd be dead a long time ago. He's also merciful in his righteousness. He's gracious in his righteousness. Romans chapter 1 says this in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to the, to the Gentile. And, 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 and a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? And I'm going to build to more of this, but I'm telling you because God is righteous. And he's revealing his righteousness in this, that he's at least giving us choice and decision to say, I'm going to choose to follow God or I'm not going to choose to follow God. But I'm going to do so not because he oppresses me, not because he forces me, not because he coerces me, not because he brings down his fiery wrath before I get a chance to choose. But because in his righteousness, he doesn't want me to force anything. He wants me to choose him. And because he is righteousness, he chose us. From the beginning, he chose us. And those who claim that God is not righteous and those who claim that, that, that God is not good enough and those that claim that God is, is, is an evil oppressor and those who claim that God must not be all good because he destroys his, his pinnacle of creation, they, they are deluding themselves because their wickedness has gotten in the way of God's goodness. And they've suppressed that truth that has been explained to them, maybe by a preacher, maybe by God's word, maybe by another believer, but through creation itself. And they have not realized that as bad as things are, God must be righteous because he's at least giving me opportunity to live in this world and to make a decision to follow him or not. And I don't understand it all, and I can't tell you that I agree with it all, but I can tell you this, that if God is not righteous, then pretty much everything else is going to fall apart. Because outside of a righteous God who is consistent and holy and behaves and acts and is who he is all the time, there's no hope for any of us. None whatsoever. The second thing I'd like to share with you this morning about why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer is to understand that all suffering has a purpose. All suffering has a purpose. Sometimes the repercussions of that suffering comes from bad decisions that I was free to make on my own. Other times, the repercussions of that suffering come from good decisions that were hard to do because they pushed back against everything else that I had to deal with in this world. If you have your Bible still open to Jeremiah, look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Because I think this is God's response to Jeremiah's complaint. And it's gentle to a sense, but it's a pretty heavy lesson to learn. And he says this, God says to him, If you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? 
If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. I think this is a, a, a wonderful passage of understanding that, that, that in this life we're going to have troubles, but fear not, for Jesus has overcome this world. That, that, that we have to understand that suffering is absolutely a part of life. It is, it is a byproduct of sin that entered into this world through one man and is conquered through another one in Jesus Christ. Suffering is a reality of humanity. I promise you at least 50% of the football fans today are going to suffer. I promise you. And 100% of those who host parties will be doing dishes that they have never done before or in a long time. They're going to suffer. And someone's going to have too much to drink at a party today, and they're going to drive home and kill an innocent bystander, and that family's going to suffer. It is a terrible, terrible reality that suffering is real, and it happens, but it all has a purpose when we give it over to God. God does not give us more than what we can handle. Some of you have misquoted that beyond belief. The truth is you can't handle anything. It's only God that can handle those things. And he gives you that through his righteousness to say, I've got this and I've got you. If you'll just sit with me. But what a wonderful and interesting story that he says to Jeremiah. He goes, man, Jeremiah, listen, <laughs> bro, I love you and all. But if you could hear what I'm hearing right now, it would sound a little bit like this. God, I don't want to run five miles today. I get tired just getting out of bed. If, if you can't run, as he says, alongside this humanity, if you can't deal with these little bitty problems of your family trying to kill you, <clears throat> then how are you going to deal with the entire nation rising up against you? When you look and make a mountain out of every single molehill that, by the way, is created because of your obedience and faithfulness to me, and I told you that I've got this and I've got you and my message is going to be protected and you are too if you'll follow me faithfully. If you can't run along the road on flat ground when the horses start coming after you, you will sure enough be winded. You need to look at this suffering and say for a moment, my God is righteous, my God is good, my God is preparing me for what is next. And I may not like it because nobody likes discipline at the time, but it is there for us so that we might grow and strengthen and we might look down the road and say, you know what, I can handle this because God has taught me how to do so. And I still need him. I'm not doing this on my own. But I can tell you this, he's with me all the way through. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. But I have to be honest, this week as I was reading through this, and some of you are going to laugh, I like to put in headphones sometimes when I'm just kind of reading. It's background noise. Uh, Tom Petty, I, I, I'm a Tom Petty fan, and he's got a radio station, you know, like on, on one of those, those accounts, like Amazon, you know, and I'm listening away, and I'm reading this passage, and I'm, I'm reading about these horses, and I'm thinking, man, let me flip over here in my Bible a little bit, and let me go over to Revelation chapter 6. As I, and as I'm about to read through this, all of a sudden on my headphones, that song by Blue Oyster Cult comes on, Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah, kind of weirded me out a little bit, I'm not going to lie. I had to send a friend a text going, hmm, I'm not sure about this. But as that music is playing back there, and I'm listening to God saying, Jeremiah, come on, man. You're whining. 
me, you've barely broken a sweat compared to what's coming next. And it's almost as if God is saying, Jeremiah, you're you're not actually suggesting that I picked the wrong guy, are you? You're not actually going to come out and just say, you know what, God, not me, send somebody else. Hey, God, like so many of your other errors and mistakes that you've made, picking me was also one of those. Yeah, I got news for you. God did not make a mistake. He didn't mistake it. He didn't mistakenly call any of us to him either. But I want you to listen about these horses. Now, I'll get there. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, And I looked up, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Verse 4, Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Verse 8, I looked, and there was before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of all the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague. And by the wild beast of the earth. Now when you start looking at apocalyptic literature, especially in the Bible, and you start trying to make associations with those four horsemen, let, let me just kind of clean this up a little bit. Whether you're, you're a, a, a pre-millennial tribulation or a post-millennial tribulation or a, 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 a no-millennial tribulation, whatever the case may be, I, I want you to just reach in here with me for just one second and just understand this. This world will come to an end one day. And in the process of that happening, we're going to start seeing things that Scripture tells us we'll start to see. And we're going to start seeing righteous people suffer for righteous sake. And we're going to see other people suffer, even though they're not righteous. And we're all going to go through all of these because the earth itself is going through birth pains that is waiting to see when they're going to be set back in all creation. And as a process of that, we're going to see We're going to see hard times come, and they're going to look like this. Families are going to turn against families, and wives are going to turn against husbands, and food is going to be short, and plagues are going to cover the earth, and famine and drought is going to starve people to death, and we're going to willingly sacrifice our children to unknown gods out of convenience. Now, I'm not here to tell you what date and time that the end of the world is going to be, but I'm hoping that it's after the Super Bowl because Mattress Mac may be paying me for my furniture back. But what another example of we're looking forward to the future, not taking care of the present. And we start worrying about these four horsemen that are going to come. And when they come, there's no stopping them. I mean, for crying out loud, one of them's name was Death and Hades followed with him. And so if you can't deal with 7% inflation right now, what are you going to do when there's pestilence and famine and everything else and you're still left on this earth? You're not ready for game day because you're practicing caring. You're not ready for the really hard stuff. And it won't be because God's not trying to prepare you for that and get you ready. It's because you got up this morning like the sluggard in Proverbs 26 and just kind of hinged over and going, uh, 
I don't even want to eat today. I don't want to open God's word and let him tell me who I am instead of let the world see who I'm not. Now, for the believer, suffering is temporary. Now, I want you to listen carefully on this. For the believer, suffering is temporary. Now, the the simpleness of that is that the temporary suffering for the believer means I'm going to be with Jesus. And there will be no more tears, and there will be no more crying, and no more sorrow. There's going to be a river that runs through the tree of life, and it's going to bear fruit, 12 seasons worth of it. And there will be no cable. I know. It's going to be awesome. There will be no distractions. There will be no Facebook to find out what somebody else is doing in heaven. I'll be filled up with the glory of the Lord, standing in his presence forever and ever. And I really don't care what your TikTok says about that. It's not going to matter. Because you're not going to have any followers because everybody's going to be following the one. That's it. But believer, like Jeremiah, listen, your suffering has a purpose and it has meaning. It's built in with the righteousness of God because I have a, I have a quest for you and I'm building you up to prepare you because I'm not going to send you in there ill-equipped and unprepared. I didn't bring you out to minister to this nation because you were ready. I brought you out because you were willing to be faithful to me. And so let me build you up on that faithfulness, not upon your knowledge, not upon your experience, not upon everything else. But Matthew chapter 5, we get a great lesson. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were there before you. Now, just think what would have happened if the prophets before came along and said, no, this is just too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. This is not the way you said it was going to be, God. But to the believer, we understand that our suffering is temporary, and blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. The easiest way for us to not get persecuted is to look like our persecutor. Jeremiah was standing out in a crowd above everybody else and saying, I'm going to follow the Lord because he is righteous. And I may not understand all of that, but I know he's better for me than what this world could ever offer. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered, catch this, for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We ought to be rejoicing in our suffering, as James tells us. We ought to rejoice in that, knowing that, hey, I am suffering for righteousness' sake, not for stupidity's sake. I am doing what God wants me to do because he is using that suffering in me so that I can go forward with his word, with his truth. I can take it to those who need to hear it, and I can live a life with my head held high in the midst of suffering. Now, Jeremiah had asked this question, which is the same one for us. Lord, it seems like when you punish your people for their unrighteousness, the righteous suffer along too. Because the famine has gotten to all of us. The drought has gotten to all of us. Inflation has gotten to all of us. Why is it we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, but the rest of the world's not, and they're getting all this money, and they're being rich by all these other standards, but the righteous are suffering too? Don't worry, it's just for a little while. Because what they're not going to have and what I'm going to give to those who follow me is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 tells us, Not only so, 
but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character and hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Jeremiah did not have the blessing of the seal of the Holy Spirit with him always that we have today for those who have proclaimed Christ. We are his forever and no one's going to take us out of his hand. And whether we suffer in the tribulation before or suffer in the tribulation after or don't suffer at all, what one thing is for sure is that we're going to suffer right now for righteousness sake. And we're going to be able to endure that suffering because it's going to promote in us a perseverance that leads to hope. And the only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. If you're hoping that the Fed will raise interest rates just enough not to throw everything out of whack, hope all day long, but it's going to change. I promise you that. And it's not going to matter because between cryptocurrency and everything else, your money's going to be worthless. And probably the most ironic thing about these United States is that our money is stamped in God we trust. But we don't. Oh, we trust in God, but we can't get enough money or we don't have enough for this or that. We suffer through these little things so that when the big things come, we learn how to endure through that suffering with perseverance, not only because God is with us and will never forsake us, but because other people are watching us. And we're only going to suffer for a little while. And that little while may be 100 years. It may be, as Moses said in Psalm 90, some of you live to 70, some will live to 80. So let us, y'all remember this? Y'all remember this? Psalm 90, 12. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to look at the day and say, man, I don't want another day like this, but you know what? I want another day with the Lord. And it could be the worst I ever had, but I'm going to follow Jesus. And that endurance and perseverance and character and hope leads us to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run Listen, with perseverance, the race marked out for us. God knew exactly what he was doing with Jeremiah. He had a race planned out for him, and he said, look, you, you can't even run on flat ground, ground without getting tired. You, you can't even just deal with the, the little petty stuff that are running around. What happens when I drive you into the jungles outside of the Jordan where it's full of tigers and lions and everything else? How are you going to deal with that? I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at least had the faith enough to get thrown into the furnace and walk back out of there. Daniel had the faith to throw into the lion's den and walk back out of there. But Jeremiah, you're going to have to have a lot more faith. Christian, you're going to have to have a lot more faith because God has a race marked out for us. So we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before us, he endured the cross. You're enduring inflation. You're enduring high prices. You're enduring persecution because you're a believer. You're enduring enduring family, looking at you going, you're a crazy person. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. Jeremiah, I didn't mispick you. You were not the lasting kickball. You were not the only option. You were the one I wanted. And my word's going to go forth. We start talking about the, the wicked, and we start talking about sinners, and we talk, start talking about people prospering. We start talking about Christians who are, who, who some, just be honest for a moment, some Christians actually have this feigned indignation. Oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Things are so hard. 
My Lexus broke down. And I'll preach that another day. But they feign this indignation, and, and in the meantime, what we're, what we're, what we're missing is, wait a minute, if all suffering has a purpose, what is the purpose of, of my suffering? And, and, and let me, for those of you who have a very fragile ego, this is going to be fun. It's not about you. <laughs> oh, God, things are so bad in my life. So what? Big deal. Do you have Jesus? Yes. What else do you need? Well, I got to have at least this much security. I got to have this much retirement. I got to have at least this big of a house. I got to have this nice of a car. I got to have all these things. What you, you don't got to have nothing. Maybe a heart of humility. Maybe a heart that chases after God and gives thanks for his daily bread. Not for the 55-gallon drum of rice I got saved up in the garage. See, what we miss as believers, what Jeremiah was missing in the midst of his suffering, just like everybody else, is that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer because God loves wicked people. And the wicked, unfortunately, have a purpose. Look at Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 7. Because this is sad. This is how God works. I have presented myself, like he said in Romans, I have made myself known and clear to everyone out there, and some have received me and some will reject me, even those not from the household of God. But unfortunately, I'm going to raise up those around me, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Samaritans, the Egyptians. I'm going to raise those people up, and they're going to come in, and they're going to conquer my chosen people who turned their back on me and rejected me. And so verse 7 in chapter 12 says, I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance, and I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. If you want to embrace the world and all the sin and all the evil and all the other stuff that comes by being successful by the world's terms, do not be surprised when God finally gives you exactly what you asked for. When he hands you over to those who will give you all the promises of the world and take advantage of you in the meantime. Don't, the worst type of punishment God could do for any of us is to give us the desires of our heart that are not him. It's the worst God, I want to be successful. God, I want to be famous. God, I want to be popular. God, I want to be all these things. Why don't you just want to be with me? Isn't that enough? See, we don't like to think that wicked people don't have a purpose, but God will use them to punish his children who are disobedient to him, who are not exercising righteousness by being made whole through Jesus Christ. He will use them to also punish those who have claimed the name of Jesus Christ but have turned their back on him and have willfully practiced sin. We call that apostasy like we said a couple of weeks ago. And it's not uncommon for when the church doesn't discipline apostasy or the church embraces apostasy that the rest of the world comes dealing with them by God's authority. And he does so because God is righteous and he does not have any tolerance for willful sin in our lives. He cannot and still be holy. It doesn't work that way. Well, I don't understand all that. Understand God, you'll understand more of his ways. Open the Bible, learn about him. The last thing I just want to share with you this morning is that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer because God does indeed love sinners. I don't think we, we, we do justice enough, Christian, 
I don't think we pay enough attention to our role in the kingdom of God, to our responsibility to the kingdom of God. We so badly start touting our rights, but we miss out on our responsibility of the kingdom of God. We don't have the right to speak against God on things that we know we're doing wrong. We don't have the right to question God when he provides for everything we possibly need. We have the responsibility to represent him in this world because God loves sinners. And he's using us, even and especially in our suffering, to show those sinners that God loves them enough to be patient with them. That he loves them enough to give them opportunity to repent of their sins and to come running to him. That he loves them enough to say that if this worthless sinner over here who's complaining about the little stuff and God is being merciful with him, if they can repent and put their heart to him, then he loves them enough to do so. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Look, the wicked may thrive in this world that doesn't belong to the Lord. And they may be successful by all means of depravity and evil. And they might only have evil in their hearts. But that's not an excuse For Christians to become idle, for Christians to not persevere, to not grow their character, to not become more like Jesus so that people can see our good deeds and glorify the Father for them. That God's patience, particularly with the nation of Israel and Judah, 268 years, 268 years he went on with these foolish people, begging them to come back to him. And what about us? What about the thief on the cross? His whole life was committed to doing nothing but evil. And while one mocked, the other one said, truly, he is the son of God. And today he's going to be with me in paradise. And friends, while I love deathbed confessions, I would much rather see a Christian on fire for 40, 50, 60 years showing other people that, yeah, you know what? This life is hard because I'm an alien here. I'm not a citizen of this earth. My citizenship is in heaven. And I don't fit in here. And if I'm trying to play by the world's rules, they're going to beat me every single time. Every time because the game is rigged. You mean this world's out to get me? The enemy is prowling around choosing whom he can kill, steal, and destroy. Right? But you can escape that. Just don't follow Jesus. But the long-term implications of that are eternal because if you can't run on flat ground you'll never be able to keep up with the horses and one of them has a sword and the other one's name is death and they will not be restrained from the earth do do you get that if you place yourself in jeremiah's shoes for a moment he is not babbling on about how unfair things are. He's just trying to understand. And you know what? I think that's okay. I think it's all right because I would rather someone be angry with God and calling out to him and trying to seek understanding than someone ignoring God and pushing him away. You know, I'm a parent. I know what it's like when your kids are mad at you. I don't like it, but I'd rather my kids scream at me than ignore me. I'd rather my kids acknowledge my my annoying existence 
than not acknowledge my love for them in any way whatsoever. God's not any different. It's okay to come to him and say, I don't understand this. I don't know why all these things are happening. But I have a heart full of comparison with other people and and how they live and what they have and everything else. But God, you know what? I need to learn to be content in all circumstances, and I just want to follow you. Christian, God is not slow as some consider him slow, but he is calling you to repentance as well. Just as he is for those who do not know him, he is waiting as patiently as he can, but his justice will not sleep forever. So the invitation this morning is simply this, repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Be a part of what God is doing in your life. Join other believers in becoming more like him. Spur one another on to good deeds. Admonish the idol, as we talked about in our adult group this morning, to walk in the glory of the Lord and be with him forever. If you want to know why the, why the wicked sometimes prosper and the righteous suffer, it's because God is righteous and his love for us is greater than any circumstance we could ever have. He's overwhelmed each and every one of those. I don't know what your circumstances are this morning, but I guarantee you God is not only bigger than them, he wants to teach you something through them if you'll but submit to him and listen. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we bless you this morning. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he laid down his life and picked it up again by his own authority. And Father, with authority like that, we must be wise to not question that authority beyond what we're capable of understanding. But likewise, Lord, not to question that authority beyond what we're willing to submit to. And so, Father, I pray that you would be big in all of our lives in such a way that, Lord, for for those who profess Jesus Christ, that are complaining about their circumstances, that's rendering them ineffective, that's showing that their character is, is weak and needs building up, that their hope is only in what they can do, not what you've already done for them. That, Father, you would strengthen them and have them run the race. That when those horses come, whether they be the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Lord, or whether it just be a faster race than they've ever ran before, that they'll run it knowing that you were in charge of everything and that you've got this. Father, for those who don't know you, who are struggling with this same question of, of, of what is the purpose of following God when the wicked out there are just as successful. And to be perfectly honest, they even look happier than some of these Christians do. Father, as lovingly as I can beg with you, I would ask that you grant them no joy in their sin. That, Father, that you would be merciful and gracious and that you would not lead them straight to destruction, but you would call them to you because for you a day is like a thousand years and it is not your desire that any of them would perish, but all would come to repentance. Father, we live in a rich nation full of lots of promises and blessings and all that other stuff, but we are evil and our deeds are evil beyond belief. Father, we're gracious that you are righteous. I pray, Lord, that today you would, in someone's heart, call them to repentance, that they may be put back right with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Could you stand with us this morning? I want to invite you to sing with us and to pray. And if you'd like to come and pray with Jason or myself or anybody, then come, do that. Today is the day of salvation for you.
acontecendo.